Well, as we get started with the message this morning, I need to pause first off to dismiss our children to Kids Crew Worship. So all of our kids and our leaders for our children's ministry are going to make their way to the front. A great time each week when our children can connect with the gospel in a way that is designed specifically for them on their level. It's interactive, it's engaging, and I think you can even tell by just the, the nonverbal here, right, as they run, that they're excited for that. They enjoy that. And I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 7 in your Bible this morning. Mark chapter 7, as you're turning there, I do want to take just a moment to point out our guest registration cards. If you are a guest with us today, we invite you to fill out one of these guest registration cards. Drop that in the offering plate later in the service today as we receive our offering. That would be your gift to us as a guest, to let us know that you're here in worship today. We want to be able to pray for you. There's a place on the back where you can communicate any prayer needs that you might have. We want to be able to connect you with a place to serve. Perhaps you're looking for a place to plug in and serve, or maybe a group where you can study the Bible, or or a ministry for your children, something of that nature. There are ways that you can communicate all of that to us on this card, so we would encourage you Fill that out, drop that in the offering plate, and we will be able to follow up with you this week. Mark chapter 7, we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And what we see again and again in the Gospel of Mark is the power of the Gospel to transform us. The power of the Gospel to change our lives. To take something that was broken and bound up by sin and to utterly set it free and transform it into something beautiful and new. And that's exactly what we'll see in this text that we study this morning. Mark chapter 7, verse 24, we see the story of a Syrophoenician woman. We'll talk more about what that means. And then also in the following Uh, the, the following paragraph, we see another story of a man who was deaf and the way that God heals both of them. You know, one of the things that we'll see in this passage, in fact, I I really feel like maybe perhaps the interpretive key to this entire passage that we're going to study this morning is the phrase that occurs in the very last verse in Mark chapter 7. There's a verse that says, he does all things well. And we'll get to that in a minute when we read our way through the text. But think about that for a moment. When you, when you hear that phrase, he does all things well. When I was thinking on that, reflecting on that this week, I was thinking about the Midas touch, right? We've all heard of the Midas touch. And think, think of someone in your life that has the Midas touch, someone that seems to have the Midas touch. And what do you think of? I'm going to guess it for you, like, like one of the street musicians that you see, right? Doug Matlock is what you just thought of, right? The Midas touch, a guy that has it all, a guy that everything he touches turns to a ginger shade of red. No? Seriously, the, the Midas touch, we've all heard the story of King Midas, and, and supposedly he could... He, he was allowed uh, one wish. And what did he ask for? He, he asked for the ability to turn anything that he touched into gold. But he soon learned that that was more of a curse than a blessing because he found that literally everything that he touched turned to gold. And so as the, as the story goes, uh, his food 
would turn to gold and ultimately he withered away and starved to death because he couldn't eat anything because anything he touched turned to gold. His daughter came to him and in his effort to comfort his daughter, he touched her and she turned to, right? And, and the moral of the story, I suppose, is that things aren't always as good as they seem or, or maybe you could say, be careful what you wish for. But in this passage this morning, we find a couple of individuals whose lives were broken and wrecked by their situation. And they came to a Savior desperately wanting transformation, desperately wanting healing. And what we see is the power of Jesus to transform them, the power of Jesus to heal them. And ultimately, the testimony is that he does all things well. What we'll discover, I I think, as we study this passage is that in our lives, the, the same Savior who healed and, and set free these, these people that we're going to study in Mark 7, the same Savior Jesus has the power to do all things well in our lives too. Let's read together. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this particular region is located along the Mediterranean coast some 30 miles northwest of the Sea of Galilee. And so if you were studying a map of Palestine and you were to look at the, the region, especially what would be the, the land of the, of the children of Israel, the land inhabited by the 12 tribes, you would notice that if you just made your way northwest, due northwest from the Sea of Galilee, you will run into the Mediterranean Sea. And there along the coast are these two cities situated about 20 miles apart, known as Tyre and Sidon. These were ancient Canaanite cities, and they were also strongholds of the Phoenician Empire in its day. And so we we see that Jesus leaves to this region, and, and it says this. This is an important point. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So the purpose of Jesus Uh, retreat, if you will, to Tyre and Sidon, to this, this region, is that he and his disciples would be able to get away Everywhere they went, we've seen this week after week now, everywhere Jesus would go in this Galilean ministry, in this ministry around the Sea of Galilee, the crowds would throng to him. And so everywhere he went, we see that that people followed him. They wanted more and more. People wanted healing. People wanted miracles. They wanted, a, they wanted a message. They even wanted him to become their king. They were ready to anoint him as the king over Israel and overthrow the ruling powers and establish the throne of, of David and, and, and be truly this conquering, mighty king that they anticipated that the Messiah would be. And yet Jesus, understanding that his time has not yet come, wants to, wants to get away. And so they traveled to this region of Tyre and Sidon. You know, it's interesting as well, and, and we'll look in Isaiah chapter 35 a little later as we study through this text, but what we see in Isaiah 35 is a prophecy of how the, the desert region and the wilderness of Phoenicia would come alive, that they would be reached with the message of the gospel. And I believe that in Fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 35, the reason Jesus chose this region, the reason Jesus escaped, if you will, or retreated to Tyre and Sidon, 
was that he might go there knowing that there were some gospel encounters, some lives in need of transformation and in fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 35. And so Jesus comes to the region we read in verse 25. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the unclean spirit we know is a demon. In fact, in a parallel account, Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, we read that the, the, the daughter of this woman was plagued by demonic possession. And so this woman comes to him in this, in this private home where Jesus has tried to retreat. And she falls at his feet, verse 26. Now the woman was a Gentile. That's a significant point. A Syrophoenician by birth. So that word Syrophoenician, you can sort of see, it's a compound word. And, it, and, and we see the root of both Syria and Phoenicia in that, in, in that word, right? In, in that essentially just describes her background. This was a Gentile woman, a Canaanite woman, who was from the, the area of Syria and specifically of the, pe- the Phoenician people. And then we see that she has come to Jesus begging for mercy. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This seems like such an Uh, really in many ways a troubling, interesting perhaps, but also a a really troubling way for Jesus to respond to this woman. Again, what we learn in the parallel count in Matthew chapter 15 is actually that at first Jesus says nothing. The woman comes to Jesus and she begs him to heal her daughter who's possessed by, by demons, and Jesus ignores her, essentially. And after she persists, Finally, the disciples speak up in Matthew chapter 15, and they say, Jesus, would you do something? This woman won't leave us alone. And so he responds to her with what on the surface appears maybe to be an insult. And so at first glance, this might seem as though Jesus is being unkind, that he's being rude, and and maybe even more than that, perhaps Jesus is being in insulting and even we might say uh, that he's being racist in a sense toward this woman. Now, none of those things is true. And as we'll study in, in a moment, I, I'll give you good reason why none of those things is, is true. But at first glance, this seems like a troubling way to respond, right? The Savior who had healed so many and this Gentile woman who, desperate, for, desperate for an answer for her daughter comes to Jesus and his answer is, it's not right that, that the, the dogs should receive what, is rightly, what rightly belongs to the children, right? Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Verse 29. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. You know, what's interesting about the way that Jesus responds to this Syrophoenician woman is that 
what appears at first glance is to be almost an insulting response. In, in actuality, Jesus is speaking to her using the language of a parable. So he responds to this woman in, 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 in we might say, in, in a parable type of response. And so she comes to him begging for mercy, begging for, for healing for her daughter. And he responds with a story. He responds by saying, it's not right that the children's bread should be given to the dogs. Now, it was not uncommon in this day and time for the Jews to refer to Gentiles as dogs. And so, in an insulting manner, Jews would oftentimes refer to those who were non-Jewish as dogs. They were Gentile dogs. That's the way that they thought of them. But the word that Jesus uses here for dogs is not the standard word that is translated. The word that is used in the insulting manner for dogs refers to wild animals that run about in the fields, right? A, a wild dog, almost like a hyena, just a wild animal. And the word that Jesus uses here for dogs is the word of a puppy. It's a household pet, an animal. But nonetheless, the point of what Jesus is saying is not to insult the woman by calling her a dog, but there is, there is a, there, there's a parable here of sorts. We read in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, a phrase or a verse that you're probably familiar with. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. And the consistent pattern that we see throughout the, the New Testament is that the gospel came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And using this parabolic language, what Jesus is saying to this woman essentially is, woman, I understand what you want, but I've come to deliver the message to the Jews. I have come unto my own. I have come to my people. Those are the children here in this parable, this language that Jesus is referring to. I have come to the children of Israel, and it's not right that I should, that I should put on hold this ministry to the children in order to refer to the others, the outsiders, or in the case, again, of this parable, the, the, the animals, the household puppies, the pets. And yet the woman discerns the language of this parable. She understands. She sees between the lines. She gets the point that Jesus is making. Notice that she doesn't respond insulted. It doesn't say that she gasped. How dare you? Instead, out of the greatness of her faith, she speaks up and says, but yes, Lord, but even, even at the children's table, there will be enough crumbs for the dogs to be fed. She understands. She sees the message. In Mark chapter 4, we saw that Jesus told his disciples in Mark chapter 4, verses 10, 11, and 12, that the reason he spoke in parables, the reason he taught in parables is to discern those who were believing from those who were unbelieving. Jesus has even pointed to his disciples to, to understand that he's going to teach using parables because those whose hearts were ready to receive, those whose hearts were receptive to the gospel would understand his parables, and those whose hearts were hardened would not receive, would not understand or perceive the message. And so using the language, using the, the litmus test, if we will, of a parable here, Jesus says to this woman, 
let the children be fed first. And her amazing response of faith is, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What's remarkable about this statement is essentially what the woman is replying. She's saying, but yes, but Jesus, isn't there enough even for me? Jesus in your power, Jesus in your greatness, isn't there enough grace for me? And what was Jesus' response? Yes. Yes, daughter, there is. And because of your faith, because of your response, go home and you'll find that your daughter has already been healed. What an amazing and powerful picture of faith at work. And so we have this beautiful story, but not only do we have this story, there's another amazing story of a, of a different and yet another remarkable healing in this text. Let's keep reading in verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. Now, I want to point out something here. I, I told you earlier that I thought the reason Jesus traveled into this region was in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 35, in the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 35. If you look on a map and you study these towns in this region, if you travel northwest from the Sea of Galilee, you will arrive first at the city of Tyre. And then at some 30 miles, now imagine traveling 30 miles on foot. That's not an easy journey, right? That's not just, you, you don't hop in the car and, and go down the turnpike and you end up in the city of Tyre. This was, this was a, a, a considerable journey, 30 miles on foot. Jesus arrives in the region of Tyre. And then from there, he travels to Sidon. Well, Sidon was approximately 20 miles more to the north of Tyre. And then it says, traveling on from there, he went into, back into the region of the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis is on the entirely opposite side of the Sea of Galilee, and it's even southeast of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus travels northwest from the Sea of Galilee through Tyre and Sidon, and then makes this circuitous route around on the, on the Roman roads, back to the region of the Decapolis. Decapolis just means the ten cities. Deca from the Greek word for ten, polis for the Greek word for city. So this is the region of the ten cities, a geographical region that we've already seen in Mark chapter 5, located south and east of the Sea of Galilee. So in other words, this is the point. Jesus travels completely out of his way along this route. Why? Well, I think in demonstration of and fulfillment of the prophetic witness of Isaiah and also because Jesus understood that there were people in these regions that needed a touch from him. People in these regions, Gentiles even, who needed the healing power of Christ. And so to demonstrate that the gospel was for everyone, not just the Jews, the Jews first, but also then for the Gentiles, to demonstrate that the gospel was for everyone, to demonstrate his power and his love for everyone, and also in fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament, Jesus goes remarkably out of his way to perform these miracles. We find that now he's in the Decapolis, verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. 
And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, which is be opened. Now, what is going on here specifically, right? This, this, again, seems to be really bizarre what Jesus does. Let me explain what, what I believe the purpose of, of all of this is. First of all, again, we see that everywhere Jesus goes, people are bringing the sick and the hurting to him. And so the, here is a man who is deaf, and it says, and he has a speech impediment. Now, why point out the fact that he's deaf and he has a speech impediment? Because the, the fact that the man not only could not hear but could not speak means that in, in all likelihood, this man has been deaf his entire life. He's never been, he was most likely, this man was born deaf. And not only was this man born deaf, so to the point that, that he could not hear, he could not speak, imagine his isolation in an ancient world. That here was a man completely cut off. We don't know the specifics, but it's not, it's not a stretch for us to imagine that in all likelihood this man was possibly illiterate, uneducated, because they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have educated such a man in their day because they considered him cursed by God. And not only was he likely uh, uneducated and, and illiterate, that means that he could not read and he could not write. He had no means of communicating other than just physical gestures. Now today, we, we have sign language, right? What we call American sign language. And, and yet, in this day and time, there, there doesn't seem to be historically much record of a, of a uh, uniform, uh, systematic form of sign language or communication. But no doubt, the man survived by gesturing, pointing. And what is it that Jesus does with this man in private, away from everyone else? We notice that Jesus reaches up and he touches his ears. And he spits, and then he touches the man's tongue. Saliva in Jesus' day was often considered to have some kind of a magical or healing property. And so you would see that, that witch doctors, shaman, he healers would often use saliva or spit. But this seems, to be, this seems to be indicative of the fact that Jesus is trying to communicate using these nonverbal gestures, the the fingers to the ears, the spit, touching his tongue. Jesus seems to be indicating to this man in a way that he can understand. Son, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to take care of what's wrong with you, right? And when you consider it that way, what a, what a beautiful, compassionate gesture for Jesus to say to this man. I'm going to do what your friends have asked. I have the power. And then looking upward to heaven, it says that he sighed again likely a, a, a visible demonstration to this man that, that something powerful is getting ready to happen. And then he says to him, be opened. The reason that Jesus would have said this was not for the sake of this man, right? He couldn't have heard him anyway, but for the sake of others who were standing by so that there would be no doubt about his power to heal, Jesus says, be opened. And what happens next, amazingly, Verse 35, his ears were open and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear 
and the mute speak. And so what we see here in these two miracles, these two incidences, is that Jesus has the power to transform. He has the compassion and the mercy to touch even those who were considered outsiders, Gentiles. And not only that, but in healing them, Jesus does all things well. This man who couldn't hear and couldn't speak, not only does Jesus restore his hearing, but he instantly gives him the power to speak. The man didn't know how to speak. He had never heard. He had been deaf from birth in all likelihood. And not, so now he could hear, but he could also amazingly speak. He didn't have to learn how to speak. He didn't have to go through speech therapy. He didn't have to go through the process that we see babies go through with language acquisition in an instant. This man could speak. And what did he do? He couldn't stop from proclaiming the goodness of God, the power that had transformed him. Jesus did all things well. And as we look at this, what, what stands out to me the most in each of these stories, the story of this Syrophoenician Gentile woman and the story of this deaf and mute man, what stands out to me is the great faith demonstrated by these two unlikely characters in the story of our Savior. And so as we, as we look closely at their stories and their circumstances today, I want us to focus on the lesson of faith and how we can learn how we ought to walk by faith following the example that we see of these two individuals. So the first thing that we see are the choices driven by faith. We see the choices driven by the faith of this woman and this man and his friends. That they made the choice to come to Jesus believing that he had the power to transform, believing that he had the power to change their circumstance. Now imagine if you were the Syrophoenician woman, or even perhaps if you knew her. Here was a woman whose life was wrecked by pain and fear because her daughter was, her daughter was possessed by a demon. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a child possessed by a demon? You would be scared not only for your child and for their life, you'd be scared for your life. How do you know that this demon isn't going to drive them to do something harmful and hurtful for you? You would literally sleep with one eye open at night, right? Fearful not only for your child, but for your own life. Imagine the, the pain and the fear that was a part of this woman's life and her story. No doubt others around her would have considered her cursed by God. Because the only, the only plausible explanation, the only rational explanation for all that she was going through was that she had done something in sin and God had cursed her in punishment for her sin. And he had cursed her in perhaps the cruelest of ways, not just by hurting this woman, but by hurting her child. Taking the object that she loved and turning it against her with this demonic force. This was a woman whose life was marked by fear and pain. Consider the man who was deaf. Here's a man who's been on the outside his entire life. Cut off, shut off, distanced from the world around him, unable to communicate unable to express even, even the most basic feelings of love for, for those around him, completely dependent upon others for his care. 
This was a man who, who could not make it on his own. He could not survive in society. More than that, he too was considered cursed. He too would have been judged as sinful and unworthy because of something that he had done and thus cursed by God with his deafness. Here are two people that are outsiders. Not only are they outsiders because of physically and and even, we might say, spiritually what was happening to them, but they're outsiders because they're not Jews. And so the Jews would have considered them to be dogs, unworthy of the gospel. Now, when we study the Old Testament, we know God says clearly to the children of Israel that he wanted them to be a lighthouse for all the peoples, a light unto all of the world, that through them all the peoples of the world might be blessed. But sadly, along the way, the Jews had become so swollen with sinful pride and self-importance, they had long stopped caring for the, the peoples around them. And yet, what does Jesus show? He goes out of his way to show compassion, to to provide healing for these two people who are marginalized, cut off, cast out, even by their own Gentile cultures. And yet, because of their faith, they came to Jesus, believing in his power to heal them. So we see the choices driven by faith. They knew that their only chance for healing was to come to Jesus. And today, if you've ever felt marked by a life of fear and pain, if you've ever felt isolated, alone, cut off, cast out, marginalized in any way, then you can relate to the story of these people, but you too can relate to the witness, the testimony of their lives. Because of their faith in Jesus, they came to the one who could provide healing. And Jesus still has the power today to heal and transform us as well. And so we see their choices driven by faith. Similarly, we see the character displayed by their faith. Notice particularly in the story of this woman, the amazing character displayed by her faith. That when Jesus speaks to her with this language of a parable, she understands because of her faith. She sees the picture of what Jesus, and with boldness and with faith, she responds to him in kind. But yes, Jesus, surely there's enough grace even for me. We see that her character is persistent. It's humble, unwavering hopeful, expectant, all of these things because of who she believed Jesus to be. In Matthew's account, as she comes to him and she falls down at his feet, Matthew describes that she cries out, Lord, son of David. Son of David would have been his messianic title. It was recognition that this was the son of David. This was the Messiah. This was the anointed one. And she came to him believing that he could heal her. The character displayed by her faith. She didn't give up. She wasn't wasn't, uh, driven away by her doubts. Rather, she was driven to the one that she knew had the power to transform her. Persistent, humble, hopeful, expectant. What, What powerful descriptions of faith even today that we would live with the kind of 
persistent, humble, hopeful, expectant faith that would lead us to cast all of our hopes and dreams, all of our wants and desires, all of our doubts and our discord at the feet of Jesus, believing that he has the power to heal us and transform our lives. So the character displayed by her faith. And then finally, we see the change demonstrated by their faith. The choices that drive their faith, the character displayed by their faith, but then also the change demonstrated by their faith. What's amazing in the story of this woman is that a woman whose life was wrecked by a a chaotic storm of fear and, and uncertainty returns home and in what condition does she find her daughter? Her daughter is in bed and resting. A woman who no doubt had never known real peace and real rest because at every moment, at every turn, she feared for her life and the life of her daughter. A woman who was worn out, tired, distraught, now comes home to a house that's full of peace and rest because Jesus transformed her situation. What do we see in the story of this man, this deaf man who's healed? A man who was isolated, cut off, shut off from everyone. A man who lived his life marginalized and and unable to communicate with anyone. This man who couldn't speak when Jesus healed him, couldn't keep from speaking about what Jesus had done for him, right? That Jesus said to him, he implored him not to tell anyone. And it says the more Jesus pressed, the more he praised him, right? A man who could never speak now couldn't be quiet about what Jesus had done because the Savior had the power to transform him and change everything about his life. That's the remarkable power demonstrated by faith, right? And so what was the response of everyone? He does all things well. Look at Isaiah chapter 35. Look at what the prophet Isaiah had to say about this this time, this, this era of the Messiah, of God's chosen one. Isaiah 35, we read that the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. I don't know what a crocus is, but apparently it blossoms and it's pretty, right? It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. And then look at this. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. You know where Lebanon is? In fact, you want to know what is the very heart of Lebanon? It's the region of Tyre and Sidon, the land of the Phoenicians. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Where have we seen that? In, in other, right in these, in these remarkable healings of Jesus. And then this, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, 
and streams in the desert. This picture of of, of streams that flow from the desert, right? is a picture of the abundance, the outpouring of the goodness, the power, the, the compassion, the love, the mercy of God. And that's exactly what we see on display in Mark chapter seven. It's the greatness of God on display in a way that could only be ascribed to him. He does all things well. What a powerful What a powerful testimony. What a powerful witness. They understood this man, this Jesus, this Messiah. They marvel at the fact that he does all things well. But you know what's important for us today? This isn't just a story about what Jesus did 2,000 years ago for a couple of people who were desperate. This is a story of what Jesus continues to do for us today. When we, by faith, come to him. The same Jesus who healed the demonic daughter. The same Jesus that brought peace into the life of a woman who had known nothing but chaos and fear. The same Jesus who took a man who was marginalized, cut off, shut off from everyone, who gave him the power to speak that he might proclaim the goodness and exalt the mercy of God. The same Jesus has the power by faith to transform our lives as well when we trust in him. And just as Jesus brought about these amazing changes in the lives of these two, I don't think that he's done changing lives today. In fact, all the more I think Jesus wants to transform our lives, transform our situations to, to, to show his love, his compassion, his goodness through us, in us, when we come to him by faith. The question is, will you be driven to Jesus by faith? Or will you run from him in fear and doubt? My prayer, my sincere desire, is that you would be willing today to come to Jesus in faith. Now, understand this, when you come to Jesus in faith, when you cast yourself at his mercy, you are fully at his mercy. There was no promise that Jesus would do the miracle, the good that he did precisely the way that that either of these thought that he would, and yet still, what was the testimony afterward? He does all things well. I think another way that we could understand that is to say, this guy's perfect in everything. Everything this guy does, like the mightiest touch, right? This guy does everything well. Would you be willing to trust today that if you will bring your chaos, your fear, your isolation, your marginalization, your sin, your brokenness, your pain to him, that he has the power to heal you? And by faith, would you trust that he will do all things well in your life if you would turn to him? In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time of response. And during our time of response today, we want to give you the opportunity to respond by faith to Jesus. Maybe you're here today. There's never been a moment when you've truly brought all that you have to him. And like this woman who fell at his feet, Lord, save me. Maybe there's never been that moment when you surrendered your life to Jesus. Would you make today the day that salvation would come, that healing would come, transformation would come to your heart and your life by surrendering to him in faith. Maybe your life has just been 
a series of stories, uh, ways that you've felt isolated, alone, all by yourself. No one understood. No one knew what you were going through. No one really got your story and your circumstance. Can I tell you? Jesus knows, and he understands. And more than that, he has the power to do all things well in your life if you'll come to him by faith. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we, as we come to this important moment of decision, this important moment of response in faithful obedience to your word, I pray, God, that you would stir in our hearts, that you would move in our lives, that we might surrender all that we have to you, turn over all of our, our, our wants and our dreams. Help us to express the kind of character, to display it by faith, that we would trust you and surrender all that we have to you, believing in your power to change and transform. Lord, I ask now that you, would, that you would do the miraculous and that you would transform hearts and minds, that you would change, utterly transform the stories of lives who feel cut off and disenfranchised, shut off from you, of the power of the gospel. Lord, change us even now. We pray this in your great name. Amen.